Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, team previews continue, and it is a special, special evening here on the Basketball Conference podcast, because not only do we have a new guest that we're going to be discussing, uh, discussing having a discussion with, but Mike, we are here to talk about your Virginia Cavaliers. Are you ready to go? How are you doing? My Virginia Cavaliers. Yeah. The one and only. Yeah, that that feels absolutely terrible to say. So yeah, well that you know, it's gonna leave that right there. Uh, anyways, Mike, <laughs> yeah, we are we are here to preview the Virginia Cavaliers. Um, it has been an off season where we've talked about them quite a bit as they move on from Bryce Perkins. Um, they're coming off of a Coastal Division championship and an Orange Bowl appearance. Um, really strong season from Virginia, but now kind of some a little bit of reset that has to go on, at least on the offensive side of the ball. And we brought on Justin Ferber uh, from Cavs Corner on the Rivals Network. He he gave us a lot of great insight and information to how this program has been functioning over the last couple of years. You know, what, what should we expect as we approach a, a bit of a rebuild at times? You know, but uh, I felt like he, he gave us a lot of great information on this team and a lot of great perspective going into this year. Yeah. Um, to have him on as a new guest, you know, you never know when you're bringing someone on kind of what they know, what they don't know, et cetera. I mean, one of the first things that Justin said to us before we hit record was, um, hey, man, like, because what we usually do with our guests, a little inside baseball here for those of you who have been listening to us for a long time. What we usually do when we bring these guests on is before we hit record, we say, hey, we're going to be asking you basically these handful of questions. And Joey and I generally prep beforehand or at least we have themes we're going to talk about at the very least and uh justin basically told us hey man you guys can ask you know essentially whatever you need to and i'll be able to provide some sort of answer um and that he did <laughs> that mm-hmm. he did mm-hmm. um yeah so justin's a really a really nice guy super knowledgeable guy um that's going to come through in the interview you're really going to kind of understand where we're coming from with that um, just a really sharp guy with a lot of knowledge about the Virginia football program. Um, and, and for those of you who are tech fans who listen to this pod, Virginia tech fans who listen to this podcast, who love to hate on UVA, you're going to learn something new uh, about the Cavaliers because I certainly did. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, Justin gave us kind of both sides of the coin, you know, the path to them being very good, the path to them also being not so good. And I think it was all kind of, you know, very in depth and very fair analysis. So, I think you all enjoy this. And, and we'll jump into it here in just a second. But before we do, I want to mention one other thing is that, uh, yes, I can confirm there was a little bit of Tony Poljan analysis here. If you're uh, into the Virginia tight end situation, as some Virginia fans seem to be on Twitter. So um, 
we, we've got it all here. And, and Justin did a great job of answering all of our questions. Yes. And uh, for those of you Every who are interested one of our in, questions. Uh, yes. And for those of you who are not interested in Tony Polja analysis, I'm right there with you. <laughs> well, I don't mean to spoil anything here, Mike, but yes. Um, in any case, without any further ado, let's get into our conversation here with Mr. Justin Ferber talking about the 2020 Virginia Cavaliers football season. Go ahead and take a listen. All right, Mike, we now welcome on a new guest coming from the Rivals Network. He is covering Virginia for Cavs Corner. Mr. Justin Ferber joins the program. Justin, welcome on. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. How are you guys? Hanging in there? Hanging in there is right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm in Houston. I've got like at least one hurricane coming my way. Maybe two. Who's to say? <laughs> yeah, um, it's all that. So Just when it, it can't get any up. worse. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't say that in the year 2020. Um, yeah. <laughs> speaking of things that... Never mind. I'll, I'll scrap that transition. Uh, Justin, we're here to talk <laughs> about Virginia. And uh, Virginia, of course, coming off a, a pretty strong 2019 season. Coastal Division champs. They broke the streak against Virginia Tech. They go to the Orange Bowl, put up a pretty good showing against Florida. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall, that was kind of year four in the program for him. Um, it was it was kind of the culmination of a building effort, you could say. Again, it was it, it's gotten better pretty much every year that he's been there. There's been a ton of staff continuity there, not really much of any changeover for much of any of the coaching staff. Um, seems like a, a really high point here, at least in the last few years in Virginia football. I got to imagine that the fan base is pretty happy about where they're at with this coaching staff and this general program. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say if, if you were doing like approval ratings, this approval rating would be pretty high right now. Um I mean, yeah, that first year was pretty rough, but and, and definitely I think was a little bit tougher than a lot of people expected. Even Bronco, who, you know, when he first got the job was, was saying stuff like, I don't miss the postseason um, because he'd never not went to a bowl game at, at BYU. So um, that first year, the two and 10 was was rough. But I mean, he's kind of compared it now to not necessarily like rebuilding, but almost breaking things down and then starting over in year two. And then, you know, year two, they go six and seven, they go to a bowl game. Um, year three, eight and five after they won the bowl game against South Carolina, which was a big win. Didn't quite get over the hump in Blacksburg. Um, but then last year they finally beat their rival after 15 years and they win the coastal division for the first time, completing the seven year coastal cycle where everybody won, uh, which is kind of funny. Uh, yeah, you mentioned the Orange Bowl. They, they played pretty well in that game. Uh, it was pretty clear from the ACC championship game against Clemson that they're nowhere near or they were nowhere near where Clemson is. And, and that's pretty much true for everyone in the league. Um, but overall, I mean, yeah, things have trended in the right direction. Um, they've had some really successful years at quarterback, which is something that really you know hurt them during the latter half of the grow years after Hagens and Schaub and all those guys left. Um, and then into the London years, they never really were able to find a quarterback. Um, but, you know, they had two years from Kurt Benkert, and now he's with the Falcons, and then uh, two years from Bryce Perkins, both transfers. And and now they're looking to turn it over to their first recruit starting quarterback um, that they've brought in. So um, I think th there's a lot of optimism about where the program is compared to where it was in the past. And that doesn't necessarily translate to this season's going to be another banner year in 2020. But I think people feel like the program's on much better footing than it was a few years ago, 10 years ago, any point in the last probably two decades. 
Justin, you answered this a little bit, um, kind of indirectly, but speaking directly about Bronco Mendenhall. So Joey and I, when he was hired at UVA, coming across the country, you know, he had coached at BYU. He's recruiting in a very, it's a boxed environment, right? It's a different right. kind of recruiting at BYU than at most other schools in the country. He comes across the country to UVA and Joey and I are sitting here wondering, how is that going to work? And it's not that Bronco isn't a good coach. And we didn't think that he would have trouble adjusting from an X's and O's standpoint at the time, but we were wondering more specifically, how would he adjust to recruiting at UVA? And he's recruited pretty well over the course of his first handful of years there in Charlottesville. But I think what we're most impressed with is how well he's acclimated to coaching in the ACC after coming from BYU, which is such a different place to coach. So talk to us a little bit about Mendenhall specifically and kind of what he's brought to the table, uh, because it's been a steady progression from where they were under London to now where they're at currently with Bronco Mendenhall. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I think I think everything you said is true and fair. I think when he got the job, there was some concerns about, you know, he's not only not only is BYU sort of a different environment and has its own set of challenges. Um, it's it's a completely different part of the country. And he'd never been on the East Coast and nobody really on that staff had ever really been on the East Coast except for Marcus Hagans. And then they brought in Ruffin McNeil for a year from ECU um, to coach the defensive line. But yeah, I mean, his emphasis has always been on uh, player development. And, you know, like even at BYU, you're going to go back and find a lot of years where he had five-star recruits. Um, and then obviously you throw in the mission element where players a lot of times will go away for two years and come back, which sometimes people see as an advantage because you have a more mature team. But then other times, you know, it does create a gap where a player is, you know, away from college football for two years and has to come back and reacclimate. But at UVA, I think, his, I'd say his his best talent um, as a as a leader of a program is kind of like identifying what he wants the program to look like, strengths, weaknesses, and then how you can address those things. So it, you mentioned recruiting; like their recruiting is definitely better than it was when he first got there. He's still not going to be the kind of coach that's going to bring in a, a bunch of five stars. Um, like I mean, his predecessor did it in one year; I think brought in two or three. Um, so I don't think you're ever going to see that except for maybe like a, a one player here and there. Um, but what he will do is he's going to find players that fit what he wants to do. And I mean, like, for example, on the edge, you have guys this year in, in Charles Snowden and Noah Taylor. There's a reason they were there. I mean, no, Charles Snowden had one offer. He was a two star wide receiver. Um, but Bronco was like, this is the kind of guy that can play edge for us. And, and he brought him in, you know, he developed over his first year and then became a starter. And now he's really, really good, almost probably a all ACC caliber player. And Noah Taylor on the other side was a guy that a lot of teams liked as a defensive back. And, and they, they thought that he would fit on the other side, you know, because of the length and they have specific models for each position and they know what they're looking for. And they're able to kind of plug guys in and rather than just say, Let's just accumulate as much talent as we can and then figure out where they fit. And that's, I mean, that's a lot of times how teams that don't recruit at the level of a Clemson, um, you know, can win, right? I mean, you have to be able to have a system and win that way. You look at what Georgia Tech did for all those years running the triple option. They weren't necessarily bringing in a lot of, you know, top end recruits, but they were, they found guys that could, that were willing to play that scheme and and it worked for them. And, um, and I think UVA, I mean, it's not quite so severe, but. Um, they're, they're able to kind of find the players that, that are willing to buy into their culture and culture is a big thing at UVA right now. And, 
um, players that understand that you kind of have to, to, you're expected to earn everything. And, and there's certainly a, a more workmanlike mindset around this program than was there before Bronco came and find those players that can buy in and then physically on the field kind of match what you're looking for. Um, and I would say he, he's just a very detail oriented coach. And I think that that is really paid off because like I said, when, when you're at a place like UVA, you kind of have to find a way to maximize what you have and, and have a niche rather than I think, just expect to go out and out out athlete, you know, teams that are going to be able to bring in, you know, more talented high end recruits than you are in the ACC. Well, and Justin, it seems like one of the things and you mentioned that not every program can recruit at a top 20 level. Obviously, right. there's only only about 20 teams could do that. 20 can. That's just math. Yeah. <laughs> That's just math. Um, but but the, the teams that are, are going to be able to be successful without recruiting at that level. Oftentimes, I think one of the things that you find with their win-loss record is it kind of goes in cycles a little bit, you know, especially yeah. as you have a lot of seniors come together, you get a really experienced team, and very few of them may have been really top-notch recruits, but they're, you know, pretty good recruits who now are older, more mature, they're more confident in what they're doing, they're more physically mature, like all these things, um, and that's where it enables the team to kind of put it all together, and where I'm going with that is I felt like that was a little bit of maybe what we saw last year with Virginia, at least offensively, there was a ton of seniors between uh, the quarterbacks and, and the skill talent. And so we'll, we'll hit on the skill talent here in a minute, but from a quarterback standpoint, Bryce Perkins was a, like a, an electric dynamic player at quarterback who really got a lot of attention nationally for what he was able to do. Um, and, and, a lot of the things that he was able to do oftentimes were, in, you know, could be in spite of some of the help that he got at times. I mean, he could make things happen. He could escape sacks. He could break a couple tackles and, and extend runs. I mean, doing a lot of big time things that not just anybody can do. Um, and now in the quarterback room, you know, with him gone and having moved on to the NFL, graduated all this, we're looking at probably what I would guess at least six months ago, it would have been pretty clear that Brennan Armstrong was the successor and then it got a little bit more complicated here in the offseason as they added Keaton Thompson from Mississippi State as a transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit different skill sets there, but um, it, as I understand it, and tell me if I'm wrong, but this kind of figures to be more of a two-horse race at quarterback. And then I'm, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on, does one hold an edge over the other, or does Bronco prefer the stylings of one over the other? I'm, I'm curious to hear kind of where we stand with the quarterback battle going into this year. Yeah, I think that it's interesting because I think that everybody just, you know, when when Bryce left, I think it was, well, it's going to be Brennan's show. He's going to be the starter. There was no controversy about that with other guys on the roster anyway. It was just going to be him. And uh, they were able to to get Keaton out of the transfer portal, a guy that, I mean, I, I didn't really remember much about him as a recruit, but he was a top 100 player coming out of high school, really, really successful quarterback out of New Orleans. Had a lot of offers committed to Mississippi State when Dan Mullen was there. And then, you know, the scheme change and it just didn't really work out for him. But he comes to UVA with two years of eligibility. And and you, you go back and watch what he did when he did play at Mississippi State. And you can see why they brought him in because he's, he's definitely a dynamic player. Um, a lot of speed, physical, can run guys over, big arm. Um, obviously struggled with accuracy. He was like, I think, a little under 50% as a passer over a few games, but he did win a bowl game for them against Louisville um, a few years ago. I think it was like 2017 in the Gator Bowl. So uh, he, he's got talent for sure. And I think he fits what UVA wants to do. Um, but 
I think it's pretty clear at this point that Brennan is the incumbent. He is the odds on favor to be the starting quarterback. Um, that's everything that we've heard would indicate that he's going to be the starting quarterback whenever they, whenever they kick off the season. Keaton's in the mix though. I mean, even Bronco said last Friday, uh, he didn't just come out and say, you know, it's, it's Brennan's job period. End of story, full stop. He, he, he made it clear that there was a competition between the two and, uh, Brennan seems like he's a little bit ahead right now. And, and I would expect him to get the job. Um, he knows the system. He's looked pretty good when he has played it in limited, uh, you know, limited action behind Perkins. Cause Perkins, you know, he, he was really tough and didn't miss a lot of games from injury. He didn't really miss any games, but he would have to, he took some nicks here and there and would have to, you know, get out of the game and, and Armstrong would come in and, and did pretty well. And, and he played well in his, you know, mop up duty in the fourth quarter of some blowout. So, um, I think as far as skill set, um, there is definitely some overlap as well. Um, UVA, like I was saying before, they really have a model for each position that they, they recruit to. And and they're very interested in quarterbacks that can run and throw. And, and they don't really bring a lot of guys in or recruit a lot of guys that can't do both. Um, and I, I think that's worked out for them, you know, with Perkins. And and Armstrong is a guy that can that can run. He's more of a natural read option quarterback than Perkins, which is interesting because they didn't run a lot of, they might've had some plays that look like read option with Perkins, but there were a lot of designed runs because that just wasn't an area where he really excelled. Um, and, and Armstrong apparently from what I've heard is a little bit more natural at that though, not as gifted of an athlete because few are, um, Thompson's probably a bit more athletic, but obviously new to the system, just got to Charlottesville not too long ago because of everything that's happened. So um, I, I would expect him to have a learning curve, but I wouldn't be surprised. And I, I said this in the summer when we were talking about the quarterback battle, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to work in some goal line wildcat sort of stuff for him, because he is a really physical imposing guy, um, you know, in short yardage around the goal line. And uh, I think that you want to kind of keep Brennan Armstrong out of the fire <laughs> if you can, in some of those situations, because he has gotten nicked up a few times here and there throughout his career. Um, with little stuff like he had a turf toe that kind of kept him out of a few games last season it didn't matter because he wasn't the starter but if something had happened to Perkins it would have been a big deal Um, so you know I think you want to try to protect him and and he's got a pretty good skill set pretty good arm he's left-handed which is always kind of (laughs) weird to watch Um, you have to kind of get used to that but I expect him to do pretty well I mean he knows the system he has the respect of his teammates and I think that uh, he's in a position to succeed he just has to kind of try to identify guys around him at receiver that um, can replace the production that's gone. All right, Justin, we'll circle back to your running game in a second, but I think first yeah. it's a little bit more natural to talk about the offensive line. A ton of talent coming back, right? Mm-hmm. Or really just a ton of experience coming back? <laughs> it's Yeah, well, I guess we'll find out. Um, I will say that, you know, in the first half of last season, they really struggled to um, protect Perkins. He got sacked. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember this, but they went, they went to Notre Dame at four and zero last year. They were ranked, I want to say like 17th or 18th in the AP poll. Things are looking pretty good. They actually led that game at halftime and poor Bryce Perkins just got <laughs> demolished time and time again in the second half of that game. Um, had two fumbles. I think one was returned for a touchdown. Another one was returned down to like the one yard line or something. And, and it just completely derailed that game. And then they went into their bye week, and it seems like they made some adjustments. And then in the second half of the season, really, a few weeks later, um, particularly taking off with that North Carolina game at in Chapel Hill, where they played really well on offense, 
the offensive line did a much better job protecting. Um, they still didn't run the ball really well with the running backs. Perkins found success because he just, you know, he makes a lot of off script type plays, but um they, they did a pretty good job of blocking around the goal line in the running game and, and short yardage situations, but they didn't really have a lot of like gaping holes in the middle of the field. You know, they, they weren't able to really leverage that. And, um, and, and the short passing game kind of became the running game because of that. So I think, you, yeah, you have pretty much everybody coming back on the offensive line. It's just going to be where those guys fit at their different positions because you've had a lot of shuffling along the line. Um, and, you know, like, if they can find a five to stick with and, and luckily they have some pretty good depth there. So if one guy's not working out, you have some other options, but um, they're definitely going to need to step it up in their run blocking to take some of the pressure off of Armstrong because uh, Bryce Perkins, you know, w- what he was able to do on his own. I mean, he bailed them out of a lot of situations uh, throughout both years that he was a starting quarterback. You think third and shorts, you know, those sort of situations. He had a he had a bunch of those throughout the season where he was able to kind of move the chains, and and a lot of it was just him. You know, it wasn't like a lot of help from his teammates in some of those plays. So the offensive line is going to have to protect Armstrong and and also open up holes in the running game. So. It's great to have that experience back, but I think that they're they're going to have to take a leap forward from what we saw last year. And that's a little bit of what I was getting at, Justin, when I mentioned that Perkins was able to make some things happen occasionally in spite of the help he was getting. You know, again, avoiding sacks and some things that he was really able to make happen. Right. The, the other element to that is the other. I guess. The other main guy there in the backfield getting rushing attempts, getting carries last year was Wayne Tulapapa. Um, and, and he scored 12 touchdowns, which is a really good number. It was, you know, top, towards the top of the conference. But when you just look at what he did on a per carry basis, it wasn't great. Um, it, it, just a shade over four yards per carry on the entire season. Uh, a guy that seemed to really excel in short yardage situations, but had a really hard time kind of dicing up a defense and, and, and turning in, turning runs into long gains. Um, is he a guy that you expect, again, kind of in tandem with this offensive line, is there a reason to think that there will be improvement there? Or is there additional help that he's going to get from, you know, another running back? Like, I'm just curious if, if we should expect another year of 100-plus carries at four yards per carry from Wayne Tulapapa. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that there is a chance that he could improve those numbers. Um, a lot of that, I think, you know, goes back to what we were just talking about, about the offensive line. The, the holes just weren't really – there weren't a ton of holes there, but he's – yeah, he's not the kind of guy that's going to, like, make something out of nothing um, or take a run 70 yards. We just haven't seen that. <laughs> I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the 12 touchdowns actually kind of surprised me. It seemed high. Um, but I think if you go back and look um, at where those touchdowns were scored from, I'd say the average distance was probably, like, three yards um, because they always were around the goal line. Um I think his longest run of the season was like 30 yards uh, against Duke, something like that. Uh, so it's not that he doesn't have talent. It's just he's not super explosive. Um, he's going to be able to kind of – he doesn't waste a lot of motion. He's not going to take a lot of, you know, bat. he's not going to make a five-yard run into a two-yard run by doing too much. Um, he's going to take what's there. But, you know, what's there is, is a lot dependent on what, you know, the offensive line is doing. And uh, last year, I mean, if it's anything like what, what happened last year, it'll be pretty similar, I think, in terms of what you get from him. Um, obviously, it's a 10-game season or, or whatever, so it'll be a little different. But um, the running back group in general is an area that I think is going to – it's going to be – it could be make or break for UVA this year because, like I said, 
before when talking about the quarterbacks, I think they're going to lean more on the running game, but the running back room is super thin. Um, right now they have Talapapa and then they have Shane Simpson, who's a transfer from Towson, who was a really good player um, at Towson uh, FCS all American. So there's some hope that he can, he can do some stuff out of the backfield. He's more of a pass catching weapon than Talapapa as well, but you have Mike Hollins, who was uh, an up and coming sophomore that they were really excited about who opt out, opted out because of uh, COVID concerns, I suppose. Um, and then you had two guys with eligibility left that chose to end their football careers earlier in the offseason. And then another guy that was basically a fullback that transferred. Um, and then Ronnie Walker, who was a potential impact transfer from Indiana, um, who's been you know performing in camp and, and definitely would be in the rotation. It, he didn't get his waiver uh, from the NCAA to be able to, eligible to play this year. They're appealing that. And that appeal could end up being huge because otherwise you have two scholarship running backs in the room. One is Talapapa, and then the other is an FCS transfer who just joined the program like a month ago. And then you have a, a couple walk-ons behind them. So, I mean, you can kind of see how the, the depth is a concern there as well as the production. So how are we feeling about the receiver position? Because a lot of talent out the door, Joe Reed, mm-hmm. Cease Dubois, et cetera. Like, how do we feel about the receiver position for UVA? Um, obviously, running back room's a little bit thin. You're going to be breaking a new quarterback, but, you know, obviously the the skill position talent around Br- who we assume will be Brian Armstrong will be mm-hmm. gigantic this year, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, you had Joe Reed, who was sort of a do-it-all kind of guy that he would get jet sweeps, they'd throw him screens, they could throw him the ball deep. He could do a lot of stuff like that. He got drafted in, I think, the fifth round by the Chargers. Um, and he obviously was a, a big impact player on special teams. As I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, and then Hasis Dubois, who literally caught everything. Um, I think he he was like first, and then he was, I think, the only receiver with X amount of targets in the nation with zero drops. Um, I can't remember the exact number of targets, but he had, I think, 77 catches last year or something like that. Um, good guy in the red zone, just dependable, really good blocker too, competitive guy. So both of those guys, not only are they, you know, production wise losses, they're, they're character losses in the locker room leaders. Um, so I think that it's going to be interesting to see what happens because like I said, I mean, UVA has a, a model for each position and they have bigger outside receivers like Reed and Dubois. Um, and then you have your inside guys and your inside guys for the most part are all coming back. You have um, Terrell Jana, who really came on in the second half of last season, is a super dependable uh, possession guy. Um, not to say that he's not fast, but you know he does a lot of his work around the line of scrimmage, and I think he will again this year uh, because I think they're going to rely again on that short passing game to sort of move the ball when when they can't run the ball. Um, and I think he had he somewhere in the 75 catch range, and a lot of that was in the back half of the season. So really. Uh, promising you know going into his last year with the program and then billy kemp and tavares kelly who are both really like smaller guys but they can they can get jet sweeps they can do screens inside work uh both are really quick uh kelly is more fast than than kemp but kemp has pretty good he runs good routes um he can move you know he can he can avoid guys he can he's tough for his size um i think they're going to really depend on those guys to, to bring them a lot this year um, around the line of scrimmage and, and maybe try to take some short throws deep um, with just, you know, run after the catch. But then you have a few young guys um, who, who could play on the outside that we haven't really seen a lot from. Unfortunately, the guy that everybody was really excited about Dontavian Wicks, who's a sophomore from uh, Louisiana 
was going to be probably their big play down the field threat. And and he had some sort of foot injury or, or leg injury, and he's going to miss the season uh, from some injury he sustained last week. So um, that's definitely unfortunate. Another guy they're really going to depend on is Rayshon Henry, who they have raved about in camp, who's a, another FCS transfer. Um, I think he had 90 something catches last year at St. Francis, which is a, a smaller school, even by FCS standards. But uh, if you watch the tape, he's kind of like a Joe Reed type player where he could get jet sweeps, screens. He can play down the field. Uh, he can win routes. He's, he's a physical guy, a bigger guy, uh, sort of a late bloomer, obviously, since he ended up at St. Francis. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that uh, he's a guy that could end up being an impact player, a guy that, you know, is new to UVA fans and they don't really know. And then at the tight end position, they have a transfer, Tony Poljohn from uh, Central Michigan, who I think that they're really excited about, big physical guy. He was second team all Mac last year, so um, yeah, they're gonna have to figure out a way to not only I think I think they'll be okay around the line of scrimmage with the short throws, but I think the big thing is gonna be how do you turn some of those short throws into long gains, and how do you win down the field to keep teams from from stacking the box. Justin, I, w- I wasn't gonna say anything about this. I, I was going to move on to defense but before i do i since you <laughs> mentioned his name i have to bring it up uh we were asked when tony poljohn's transfer was announced to virginia if we could put him where we put him in our acc tight end rankings i don't know if you have any thoughts on that before we move on here yeah i mean he's a guy that kind of came on the radar when he jumped in the portal um and and you know uva for the first few years under Bronco, didn't really use the tight end a lot. And then last year uh, with Tanner Cowley, he was sort of a do-everything tight end who was a pretty good blocker, and, and they were able to to mix him in. But Poljohn is, is more of a physical guy. I know he was in Bruce Feldman's freaks list that he does every year. Um, mm-hmm. He's a former quarterback. He's really big. He's like 6'7". He looks huge in the pictures you see you know, from camp because we can't be there, obviously. But um, I think he definitely could be a guy they use in the passing game. I can't remember his exact stats off the top of my head from Central Michigan, but he was definitely a guy that they looked to get the ball to. Um, he seems like he has the ability to sort of stretch the field, too. He looks like a pretty fast guy from what I've seen on tape. So I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, I know that I, I'm not going to pretend like I'm some sort of Central Michigan expert, <laughs> but I know that um, a lot of people like nationally thought it was a pretty big deal when they were able to get him. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you're excited to see what he can do. And, and from what I can tell, you're not the only one. So that, that's that's yeah. good news for Virginia fans, I think. Well, UVA uh, fans love tight ends, too. I mean, like with the Heath Miller connection and all that stuff going back, they always are like, why don't we use the tight end enough? And it's like, well, it's not really part of the offense. You know, like not everyone uses the <laughs> tight end as much as, you know, this isn't the Al Grove, you know, under center offense of 2002. Um <laughs> Consider, but consider I mean, the tight end I mean, there's certainly the a place for it. There's certainly a place for it, though. You know, a lot of teams use the tight end, so I think that they'll 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 figure out a way to get Paul John in the game. Absolutely, I dare somebody to come on here and tell me that the tight end is not part of the offense. That's the most important <laughs> part of the offense. Yeah, I mean, you see um, what teams do in the NFL. I mean, he could be that kind of player just based on his physicality, um, like a, a Travis Kelsey type player i mean obviously he's sort of new to the position because he was apparently like again this is all stuff i'm learning on the fly because that's how things work in this new era of college football and covid where people are jumping in and out of the transfer portal but i mean people were saying like you know he was recruited as a tight end out of high school by some uh big 10 programs because he's from michigan but he wanted to play quarterback so he went to central michigan and then that didn't work out and they ended up moving him um so yeah i mean I'm, i'm excited to see what he can do but you know it's a lot of it's going to come down to how he fits in with the offense and, and, you know, if he can pick everything up, which I'm assuming he can as a veteran player. 
Yeah, and and then again, I mean, there's there's very few practices, you know, here to kind of deal with before we get going. So yeah, it'll right. be interesting to see for sure. Um, Justin, we spent a ton of time talking about the offense here, and it's um, I, I justify that because you know there's a bunch of turnover and moving on oh, from yeah. Bryce Perkins and, and all this, so there's there's reason to do that. I, I'm guessing we could go for a little bit on the defense, but I, I'm curious to see how much there even is to say. I mean, this team loses Bryce Hall, who was a remarkable player, and Jordan mm-hmm. Mack as well. But beyond that, this defense brings back almost everybody last year. By my count, I, I saw Bill Conley has him at 81% returning production. That's 15th in the country, um, running the same scheme they've been running the whole time under Bronco Mendenhall. I mean, at this point – the defense figures to be what it was last year, maybe just a, a notch better, but, you know, pretty solid and, and pretty physical. And we kind of know what we're going to get from that side of the ball. I, t- I tend to figure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that while the offense, I just went through a bunch of question marks, you know, about how they're going to replace what they've lost. And I think that they can, I don't think the offense is necessarily going to be terrible or anything, but the defense, I mean, it, it, it's pretty easy to get excited about this group because, you mentioned the losses. I mean, they lost Bryce Hall, I think, in the sixth game of the year to my in the Miami game, which was super unfortunate. Uh, and their pass defense really suffered as a result because it wasn't just his injury. They had a few more after that that were that were really painful. Um, and then they ended up having to play some guys that were pretty far down the depth chart in the second half of the season. Um, if you want to see how that went, you could go back and watch the highlights from the ACC championship game um, when T. Higgins and, and Justin Ross were just, you know, doing whatever they wanted. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that what they bring back at all three levels is, is definitely exciting. Uh, on the defensive line, you have pretty much everybody back. Um, Manny Alonzo, everybody's excited about the development of Juwan Briggs, who I believe is still the highest rated player that Bronco has recruited um, since he's come to Charlottesville, him or, or Andrew Jenry, who is an offensive lineman from this past class. But um, he, he played a bit last year behind a senior um, who was gone in Eli Handback and, and flashed a little bit when he did play. And I, I think, you know, he's going to be a monster in the middle for them. And then they have, you know, the guys on the outside as well with, with Alonzo and then some other rotational pieces uh, at, at, on the defensive line and more depth there than they've had in the past. Um, and then at linebacker, you have, like I mentioned before, Snowden and Taylor on the edge. And those guys are just really tough for offenses to deal with because they have defensive back wide receiver type speed, but then they're also big physical guys that can get in passing lanes, knock balls down, get after the quarterback. And one of the things that Broncos defense does really well is disguising blitzes and stuff. So you have a lot of free rushers. And when you have guys like Noah Taylor, who are DB caliber athletes (laughs) rushing off the edge unblocked, I mean, that's a nightmare for quarterbacks. So those guys, I expect big years from both of them. Taylor could even be an early draft entrant candidate if he has another big year like he did last year. So we'll see what happens there. And then you have uh, Zane Zandier in the middle and and a few other returning guys there as well. Mack will have to be replaced. um, But you have Nick Jackson, who's a young player who had to play in in his place at the end of last season when Mack went down. So I think that, you know, he has potential. He's a guy that they trust a lot. Um, he was one of the first guys to pick a number this year, which is a big thing for UVA in the offseason. They have to earn their numbers. And you can kind of tell how camp is going for guys based on who gets to pick first. So he was one of the first guys. So I think that bodes well for him. At safety, they bring back uh, Joey Blunt, who's a really good player, probably, you know, I, I would say all conference caliber player, but then Clemson just gets like all of these, you know, play all these spots. So, um, 
he's back. Uh, the one area where I'll say that they and, – and then also I should mention um, DeAndre Amos, who's a transfer from JMU, um, who they just got a couple weeks ago. Apparently he's playing really well in camp. He's an FCS All-American at JMU. Uh, definitely like a really a, a high-caliber player who, who could end up playing a lot for them. Uh, and then a corner, that's the area where I think that they're going to need some help. Um, you mentioned Hall leaving. Nick Grant was the other cornerback last year. He's he's pretty good. He'll be back. And then you have you could play Devontae Cross there, who, who's also played at safety, but safety is more of a natural position for him. He struggles a little bit, I think, on an island. Um, and then you have Brent Nelson, who's a nickel corner, who's pretty good. But then it's who's going to play on the outside um, if those guys aren't aren't the guy. Um you have some younger guys that had to play, like I said last year, when when the injuries piled up, and you get Darius Bratton back, um, who missed all of last season with an injury. So it, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there, and then what they can get from their depth, um, because in the back half of last year, after Hall got hurt, they, that was the area where they were exposed the most was just giving up big plays in the passing game. Justin, ordinarily, special teams would be an area of the game that, from a fan's perspective you know, you would look at, you know, outside looking in and say, you know what, not that big of a deal at the college level, we'll piece together our special teams unit, right? I mean, you're not always mm-hmm. going to get your best kicker, best punter in the world, et cetera. Um, or for that matter, a kick returner or punt returner that's absolutely just going to break the game open consistently. Right. But it feels like UVA needs to find a way to replace that guy with Joe Reed because of how dynamic he was. One of the best returners in college football, not only last year, but over the last couple of years. So how does UVA go about replacing that production? And maybe not necessarily from the standpoint of, oh, we're just going to plug this guy in and he's going to do half of what Joe Reed does in the return game. But really, how do you replace that field position, right? That, that's the real question. How do you find a way to kind of make up for that? Because Joe Reed could flip the field in an instant. Yeah, and and that was an area, I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot about it. Um, that was an area where I don't have the numbers, but UVA's starting field position last year was maybe the best in the country. If it wasn't, it was very close to the top. Um and, and again, you look at how many points per game they scored. They scored 32.1. Um, like that, that to me, you know, on the surface without digging deeper, looks like, oh, the offense was pretty prolific. But really, especially in the first half of the year before they kind of clicked in the passing game, I mean, the, the defense was turning the other teams over a lot. And then the special teams groups were flipping the field and, and giving the UVA the ball with plus territory so they didn't have to go so far. Um, and, and Joe Reed was a big part of that as a kick returner. Um, he had to have been, you know, really close to the top, if not at the top in, in kick return yards. Um, he, he's, he always, I mean, you, you think about the ones where he returned it for a touchdown or something like that, but I mean, he had so many more, um, yeah, I'm looking now. He had, they had 13, 30 plus yard returns last year, seven 40 plus yard returns. <laughs> you know, three seventy plus yard returns. So I mean, you can see how I mean that that changes games, changes seasons. Um, it, it it can be a huge deal. Um, and and he, you know certainly I mean that's really I mean not to disrespect his his re- ability as a receiver, but I mean that's what got him drafted. I think. Um, you know he, he can he can make an impact on special teams. So. You know, it, it's kind of intriguing because he did get banged up a little bit last year and they kept him off the field in some of those plays and had some of the younger guys um, take some of those snaps and um, or take field some of those kicks. 
Uh, Tavares Kelly, who's a guy that's back, did a pretty good job in the Georgia Tech game on some kicks. They were trying to do some squib kick stuff, and he, and he took a couple of them back to around field, which is intriguing. Um, and then, yeah, they have another guy who left the program who, who had a couple good returns in the Liberty game. Um, and then they added, like I said, Shane Simpson, who was, he was a really good kick returner at Towson. Um, Amos from JMU. I don't know if he returned kicks, but he was definitely a punt returner. Um, so they have some options there. The schemes are usually pretty good because even, like I said, even when the backups came in, there was room. Um, but I mean, expecting somebody to replicate what Joe Reed was able to do. He just had so much straight line speed and grid vision. He was able to make the first guy or second guy miss. And then it was trouble for everyone. Um, I don't know if you could necessarily replicate that. And you mentioned, you know, maybe UVA gets half of that. I think they would probably take that going into this season, just based on, you know, how much Joe Reed was able to give them. Mike, that's all I've got on this year's team before we jump into the schedule. Any other questions for Justin while we got him here? All right. I think I saw you just mouth. We're good. I think you might have stayed <laughs> muted. But anyways, we'll move on. Uh, Justin, let's look at the schedule for this year. And, you know, for a team, especially offensively with a lot of uh, a lot of pieces to replace offensively, it's really not ideal to have four of your first five games on the road, not to mention starting out against the rival across the state, then going to Clemson and eventually going to Miami before you even play your second road game it, or your second home game. I'm sorry. It, it doesn't really set up ideally, at least the first half of the season for again, a team with several new pieces on offense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just looking at it and you just see all the at blank at blank. It's like, what is the schedule? But I mean, I don't think the ACC necessarily intended it that way, but they did lose their, their opener against VMI because VMI canceled their season, which couldn't have been a, a huge shock. And they have mentioned trying to replace that game. Um, and Bronco said on Friday that it's unlikely they'll be able to do so, which is not a huge surprise because, a lot of teams are, are full now, and there's a lot of teams that wouldn't really make sense for UVA to play. Like, you're not going to play North Dakota State or something like that. You would want to play – the VMI game, the appeal of that was it was basically a preseason game for them before their biggest game of the season in week two. Um, you know, the, we've talked about it a lot, uh, me and, and some people, you know, that cover the team, and just – what it's like to open with that first game in Blacksburg. I mean, on, on the one hand, it's it's not great. And I think that UVA would prefer to play someone else first just to get, you know, you don't really know what you have until you play. Coaches say that all the time. Luckily, last year they were able to open, they, were, they, were, they had to open at Pittsburgh, um, which was a pretty tough game and they won it. Uh, so they have some familiarity with opening in a, in a tough situation in a conference game. But Obviously, it's a little different when it's your arch rival uh, and with the history that they have between the two. Um, and then they get a buy before they go to Clemson. <laughs> Not sure the buyers are really going to help a ton, considering Clemson also has a buy. Um, and then they finally play a home game <laughs> October 10th against NC State. Uh, the good thing is the back half of the schedule, because they play two more road games after that, the back half of the schedule is very uh, home friendly I guess you could say like a lot of home games they host North Carolina then they host Louisville then they host Duke they have one road game against Florida State and then they host Boston College um, I, I think we're really going to know a lot about UVA in that game against Tech because I think that you know Tech's going to be pretty good this year I, I think it's a it's going to be a tough game I think UVA will be up for it I think you know if they're healthy I think it'll be a pretty good game um, and and you know, you'll learn a lot. The Clemson game, I, I don't know what you really take away from that. You just try to come out healthy and get ready for the next one. Then they have a few winnable ones, but um, 
it's it's so funny looking at this honestly guys with without the lens of the coastal because you start thinking about like oh you know what are these coastal teams going to be like and it's like yeah it doesn't really matter this year because there are no divisions so um i think this year is going to be so weird and and it's going to produce a lot of unexpected results and there's going to be a team i think that people think is going to go three and seven it's going to go seven and three and probably a team that people think is going to go seven and three it's going to go three and seven um it's just a one game at a time sort of thing for UVA. I think it's good that the back half is, is home like loaded up with home games because they might start off with kind of a, a mediocre record and then be able to save the back half of the season. But um, yeah, I mean, all these games sort of look the same to me, honestly, on paper, because the, the ACC is so, you know, it's just a mangled mess of pretty even teams. Justin, what do you think characterizes? Oh, well, let, let me let me back up a step because I think mm-hmm. a, a good season for everybody would be getting through it. <laughs> but as yeah, far as I would say, if they kick off in Blacksburg, that would pretty much be a good season at this point. I I, I agree. For, well, for honestly, though, there are a lot of UVA fans that the nightmare scenario is they play Tech, lose, and then the season gets canceled, and then all they did was lose the Tech, lose the Cup, and then the season ends. Um, <laughs> yeah, and tech fans are thinking the the opposite. They're yeah. like, okay, well, maybe this, maybe this could work. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this could work. We'll play we'll play NC State in the opener. We'll play UVA in week two, and then the season will get canceled. Yeah. Um. So what what do you think characterizes a good season for UVA? Um. From a record standpoint, given how the ACC just just totally terrorized them with the schedule. Um. Just given what we think some of these teams will be at least on paper it looks like a pretty brutal schedule but what do you think would characterize a good season for UVA given what they're yeah, up against I mean, now? If, if you look at their road schedule they go to Blacksburg I mean but this is the thing they go to Blacksburg they go to Clemson they go to Miami they go to Florida State um you know 10 15 years ago that would have been unbelievably difficult but with no fans or few fans I don't really know what it means um it could be a benefit maybe to play this schedule this year um, it's not an easy schedule. And honestly, if they were playing their regular, regularly scheduled 12 game season, uh, which obviously looked quite a bit different than this, but they did have to go to Clemson and they did have to go to Blacksburg. So there were some similarities. Um, I think getting to six and six and another, keeping the bowl streak going, I think would have been an acceptable, like a passable result and anything better than that would have been good considering that it's sort of, I don't want to call it a, a bridge year, but you are breaking in a new quarterback. You lost a lot of skill position players on offense, and you have a lot of young guys that are going to be back next year uh, to potentially build on that and, and maybe an easier schedule too. So I think that six and six, seven and five would have been a good year. A disappointing year would have been not a bowl season. With this schedule, I mean, I don't really know how you measure a 10-game season because we're just not used to it. Um, I think... I think most UVA fans, if you ask them now, all things is, you know considered with with just getting through the games. I think a five and five or better would probably be fine. Um, you know, you have some winnable games on there. You have some some coaching change sort of situations or some teams in flux like NC State, Duke with a new quarterback, um, Boston College with a new coach, Florida State with a new coach. So I mean, there, there's some room, you know, to potentially have a good year, especially if the defense is as good as it can be because they could win a lot of games, you know, 17, 14, if, if the offense struggles just based on what their defense can do. And, and that hopefully isn't the goal necessarily, but I think it's possible, but I would say a winning record would be a good, would be a good season. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you know, like you said, if you get through the whole season and 
you know, I, I think this year, a year from now, will be kind of viewed as sort of different than every other year because it is. And I think fans would be a lot more likely to forgive a bad season this year than they would in a normal year, if that makes sense. So, Justin, if five and five is a successful season, by that logic, do you think Virginia has a su- successful season? What's the uh, what's the record prediction? Yeah, um, I haven't actually done this yet because we always do a podcast right before the season where we go through each game and pick win-loss. I'm just going to kind of do it on the fly. Um, I think they're going to get off to a tough start, but I think they're going to start to come back after that Clemson game. You know, they, they, they have a chance to kind of get something going there. Um, I think the North Carolina game, besides the Tech game, is, is probably the biggest game on the schedule for me because they're expected to be pretty good this year. It's a rivalry game, and, and UVA beat them last year down there in a really good game. Um, I think if they could win that one, that would be a, a nice boost for them going into the back half of the schedule where they have you know Louisville at home, Duke at home, Boston College at home. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say they get to five and five. I'm not exactly sure how they get there. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if I was betting. I would say I would say five and five or six and four. Um, that might be a little conservative. I think some UVA fans would take umbrage with this and assume that I'm being a little bit pessimistic. But I, I think part of that is I'm just trying to take into consideration all of the weirdness of this season in general and know that there's going to be some weird results here and there. But I think that they'll get their fair share of them as well. Um, so I would say somewhere around a 500 season or maybe a little better than that, just based on how the defense can play. And I think that they, you mentioned the staff continuity and all that stuff. I think some of that stuff is going to be important this year. You know, you have a lot of teams that are replacing a lot of players and coaches and and relying on new faces and UVA is relying on some new faces, but a lot of those guys have been around. And I, I think that, and honestly with the, with the COVID stuff, I will say this, like they, they have done a very good job of, of, um, handling the situation and I don't want to jinx it, but Broncos super detail oriented and they haven't, they've basically had everybody in a a de facto bubble for since they came back and, and they haven't really had any positive results recently. So um, I think that they have a a better chance than some programs do of being able to field a complete team, which is definitely going to be a factor this year, I think. Well, there you have it. So Justin's got him somewhere probably in the five and five, six and four range with a thought that that might be a little pessimistic even among the uh, Virginia fan base, which I, that surprised me a little bit. But hey, again, I mean, you, you know more about the program than I do. So I think I think um, once you start making bowl games a lot, people just assume that you're just going to do that in perpetuity. Right. Um, yeah. So that's kind yeah. of where I'm getting that, because I haven't seen a lot of people like on our site and other places like expecting them to be bad. And I didn't, I mean, like I said, their schedule before, if you looked at what they had, they had UConn at home, VMI at home, you know, they had some, they had to play that Georgia game, but I mean, they would have been able to rack up some wins there and at least probably scratch to six and six or so. Now, you know, the schedule is a little different. Um, I think, you know, I think a winning season would, would be a, a good, that would be a good sign that, that UVA isn't just. Bryce Perkins and, you know, a pretty good defense. I think that this would be a sign that, you know, there's, I think there's definitely sustainable growth, but, you know, I think it would show virtue to the outside world that, or signal to the outside world um, that, that they're a program that's definitely not just like one player or, you know, a fluky season or something like that. Yeah. And it was something, I mean, that you saw from Bronco in his time at BYU was, he was able to kind of sustain a pretty consistent floor of like eight and five every year. A couple of years yeah. they jumped up to like 10 and 10 and two, 10 and three. 
Yeah, they had but, like a six and six or two in there, I think, early on. But then after that, it was, yeah, it was nine wins, eight wins every year. I mean, they went to a bowl every year he was the head coach there. Yeah. And and I would say there there's one a little bit of a difference, just base case with BYU. But then there's an extra difference this year was BYU's schedule can change pretty drastically as an independent. Yeah. And so, you know, who you play on a year in and year out basis is, is kind of changing. But and even Especially in the Mountain West, with, then, yeah, I mean, the Mountain West wasn't necessarily as strong early in his tenure as it ended up being later on. And I think that kind of, I don't know if he would admit this, but I think they were a little bit thrown off by how athletic the teams are in the ACC when that, that first mm-hmm. year, because they thought they went to practices. And I remember hearing them, you know, things like off the record in any way, like this is the most athletic team we've ever had and stuff like that compared to their BYU teams. Right. And then that team mm-hmm. went two and ten. So mm-hmm. I think they were like, okay, we really need to recalibrate, you know, like what we're looking for in a recruit, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, and then, and then the point that you mentioned about, I mean, this team probably would have pretty comfortably gone three and one out of conference and been halfway to bowl eligibility before you play a single conference game. Well, when you, when you're only playing conference games, you know, that's where we've, we've done some of these previews and you have to kind of separate what you think of the team versus what they're going to do against their schedule, because a lot of these, it's just like there's not really an off week and you're hoping for a bunch of toss-up games at best. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like an NFL schedule almost, really. I mean, it's like every week, it's the teams are pretty even. You know, it's everybody's got decent enough players in the ACC. I think, you know, you can expect a game every week. Um, you know, maybe even when you might think that you're going to have a win, it's going to be closer than you think. or And then the next week, you might be expected to lose and you might be able to go in and, and beat someone. But that's how the ACC is every year. But yeah, I think without teams padding those records with, you know, a bunch of easier wins, I think every team is going to be kind of, you're going to see a lot of teams, I think. And I don't think this is just a UVA thing, but I think you'll have a lot of teams around that four and six to six and four range. Um, just because I think that that's how, I mean, that's how conference records are. You look at the coastal, <laughs> it's just kind of like somebody wins it at six and two, and then there's a bunch of four and fours. And, and then you have like one team that goes one and seven or something like that. So I kind of expect something like that this year with the whole league. Toss up galore. Go ACC, baby. Yep. Uh, <laughs> That's what we do. Well, Justin, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Justin, this has been a lot of fun. It's been very informative. Thank you so much for, uh, for your time and everything. You want to tell the people where to find your stuff real quick? Yeah, sure. Uh, we're at CavsCorner.com. So it's, on, like I said, on the Rivals Network. If you're a UVA fan, we have a lot of you know good football content out right now. Um, and, you know, exciting stuff coming. If you're not a UVA fan, you probably would not want to come to the site because there's nothing else there. Um, but, yeah, check us out. And I'm at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter if, if anybody cares about that. <laughs> there you go. Well, please definitely go check out Justin on Twitter. And, Justin, once again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'd love to have you back on sometime soon, man. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, Mike, that was Justin Ferber. Once again, great conversation that we had. Please go follow him uh, at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter and go check all of his stuff out at Cavs Corner. I mean, again, really high-level analysis that we were getting there and an absolute treat having him on. I can't wait to have him on again sometime soon. Um, Mike, I I get this feeling coming out that Virginia goes into this season and there's a, a, a lot of questions to answer. But once again, knowing some of the stability that just inherently comes along with being in year five under Bronco Mendenhall, you know, they might not get every single question right, but they're sure as hell not going to get every single question wrong. I feel like this can only only go so poorly 
realistically. I yeah, I agree with you. And I you know, he mentioned five and five being pretty realistic and a lot of fans would be disappointed with six and four. And I thought that was surprising. And I think you did mm-hmm. too. But at the same time, when you think a little bit more about it, okay, they're bringing a lot of pieces back on the offensive line. They're bringing you back a very experienced defense and the coaching staff has continuity uh, that Justin spoke to at length. And the fact that really the, the coaching staff of UVA hasn't steered us wrong. In fact, they've, they've proved us wrong, Joey. We've mentioned mm-hmm. before that we weren't exactly high on the Bronco Mendenhall hire at UVA, but it's turned out to be one of the better hires in the last five years in the ACC and what he's done to turn around the program. And this year, you know, in a COVID shortened schedule and all of the irregularities that are going to come with the upcoming season, I think we'll really get a sense as to how prepared some of these coaching staffs are um, that have been together for a long time and are very detail oriented, like Bronco Mendenhall is compared to some of the new coaching staffs, like Mike Norvell's staff, like Justin Fuente's staff, that's experiencing a lot of turnover, um, like the Boston College staff under Jeff Halfley. Like there are going to be a lot of those types of questions, like where does continuity really help? Where doesn't it help? And I think in UVA's case, Joey, you're right. It can only be so bad. Uh, for the Who's, despite a brutal schedule, especially on the road. Yeah, so as we look at this record-wise, again, I, I think if you're expecting something more than six and four, I, I have some bad news for you. Um, and and the, the the season win total odds that we saw earlier today had Virginia at five and a half. I, I have a hard time taking the over on that. Now, what I tend to agree with is I, I'll just go ahead and say it. My prediction here, looking at the schedule is five and five. I, I've got them right at that 500 number. There's some games here that stick out to me that, that seem particularly winnable. And it's the home game against NC state. And that's, I guess, I don't know what we're calling week three, but it's on October 10th. Um, it's their first home game. NC state going through a lot of transition as well. Um, I don't know that that's a particularly good matchup for the Wolfpack. So I, I think Virginia has a really good chance to win that game. The other one early on in the schedule at Wake Forest, I, I feel like Virginia, that's at least a toss-up game. I don't know necessarily which team is better, and it's a road trip, but I think it's a toss-up game. And then I look at the three-game stretch closing the year. You look at a home game against Duke, then a road trip to Florida State, and a home game against Boston College. I think Virginia, over the course of the year, showing some consistency and some improvement, by that point, playing home games against teams that are not going to have you out talented. I feel pretty good about Virginia being able to win those games, I'll say. And then the the game in the middle at Florida state, as Justin mentioned, new coaching staff. We've all been here before where we saw, well, it's Florida state. They got a ton of talent, new coaching staff. They'll fix it all immediately. They'll go like nine and three. And then they didn't make a bowl game. So (laughs) We all have an idea of what we think Florida State's going to be nine weeks into the season, but I mean, that's far from a certainty at this point. So I think there's, there's a chance there. The thing is, I think of those five games, NC State at Wake Forest, Duke at Florida State, Boston College, I'm going to say Virginia goes four and one across those five games. And then I'm going to say that they steal one of the other five that are not the game at Clemson. So I think they're going to steal one either at Virginia Tech, at Miami, home against North Carolina, or home against Louisville. Um, And the only problem is that that at Miami, home against North Carolina, home against Louisville, 
is over the course of three weeks. It's October 24th, 31st, and November 7th. So I I think they will be good enough to kind of hang around that 500 level. I think anything really in the four and six to six and four region is, is perfectly, you know, within the realm of possibility. Um, and I think expecting anything more than six and four is really just asking a lot and setting yourself up for some disappointment, frankly. I agree. Um, I'm going to go with four and six. Now, I think anywhere between four and six and six and four, like you mentioned, is basically right in the sweet spot, which makes sense given the five and a half over under the Vegas is indicating. Um, it's going to be a one year temporary swoon, in my opinion, for UVA. Um, if they do turn out to be a team that doesn't make a bowl game i'm not sure what the qualifications are going to be for that this year i'd assume five and five but who knows um if they end up not making a bowl game i don't think it's the end of the world i don't think it's an indication that uva was a one-hit wonder i don't think it's an indication that bronco mendenhall can't coach um i think it's just an indication that there's a lot that needed to be replaced i mean there's as Justin mentioned, you know, there, there's plenty of pieces that UVA needs to replace. You, you know, obviously start with Perkins, but the fact that they're really thin at running back is a concern that they could potentially only have two scholarship running backs at the position. That's a, a dangerous proposition in a COVID-19 environment. It's it's a tough situation anyway, um, but especially in a year when you're dealing with COVID-19, you don't know who's going to catch what and who's going to play and who's not. The offensive line, you know, there's continuity, but just how good can they be? It was kind of an up and down year last year, but they seem to finish a year much stronger than they than they were at the outset. A lot of questions at receiver, even though there's some talent there, clearly just unproven. And then defensively, there's some key guys to replace, but the defense overall, um, from a depth perspective and just a top line talent perspective, should be pretty good. So, mm-hmm. and, and that's not. And then we go back to the coaching staff. It's like okay, continuity. They can only be so bad. I'm going to go with four and six, Joey. I I just have trouble. It's less about the quarterback to me. And it's more about the fact that the running game was so bad last year. And I'm not sure it's going to get that much better. And now they have less depth there than they had before. Um, You know, unless they're able, you know, to get some of those immediate eligibility waivers figured out and, and, you know, things of that nature. They may only have two scholarship running backs. And the running game just wasn't very good last year. I mean, Bryce Perkins was a big reason why they weren't like the worst running team in the FBS. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they were really, really bad running the football last year. And I, I think quarterback will be okay. Like, I think Brennan Armstrong or Keaton Thompson, whoever ends up playing, I would assume it's going to be mostly Armstrong. That's what it sounds like. I, I think he'll be good enough. But I'm just not sure that they're going to have the dynamic running ability at the quarterback position that they had with Perkins. I think that's a given. Uh, but I also just don't think they're going to run the ball well just in general as a team. I don't think there's going to be that much more of an improvement. So naturally, your offense is going to hurt, right? The offense is just not going to mm-hmm. be as good. And that's before you factor in the pass catchers. I'm going to go with four and six. Um, it, it's a it's a tough schedule. I do see the Virginia Tech game, and that's UVA's opener as a toss-up game. I think what potentially hurts UVA there is you're breaking in, and Justin alluded to this as well, you're breaking in a new quarterback in Blacksburg in week week one of your season, week two of Virginia Tech's schedule. They have a warm-up game essentially against NC State because I think NC State's going to be garbage this year. So they have a warm-up game um, against NC State uh, before playing UVA on September 19th. UVA has to go, you know, two weeks later to Clemson. 
but I'm with you. I mean, I think that NC State, Wake Forest, Miami stretch, right, um, from October 10th to October 24th is going to tell us a lot about how good UVA is. Can they bounce back? Can they mm-hmm. get wins against NC State and Wake Forest? Can they go on the road and beat Miami? Because no, but nobody's going to trust Miami um, until they prove it on the field. And then everybody's chalking up that UNC game as a loss, and I understand it because of what UNC has returning, but UNC didn't exactly look great defensively against UVA last year um, uh, at home. By the way, UNC was at home in that game and just did not look very good. Didn't really show up defensively. UVA wins that game. Bryce Perkins goes off. Who knows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and in that closing stretch, Louisville, Duke, Florida State, Boston College. You go two and two there. You're doing pretty well. I, I just that's probably best case scenario. I think six and four. I, I think four and six is what's most realistic though, just given what they have to replace. The one detail I was going to point out, and kind of some of the things that Justin was mentioning, and this this is at a fairly detailed level, is if if you look back some of the proposed scores that he was kind of talking about games in terms of, and he was talking about Virginia losing games 28-14 or winning games 27-21 or something like that. Like there, there's generally not a thought that Virginia will have a good reason to think they're going to score a lot of points this year. Um, they're going to probably play in quite a few lower scoring games. Again, an offense that's kind of trying to reinvent itself a little bit, a defense that is, you know, figures to be quite good. And so you're, you're playing a bunch of low scoring games, most likely that, you know, it, it's probably a little less fun to watch, but at the same time, fewer scores means there's a little more opportunity for variability. And again, you could see a game go sideways on somebody that Virginia is able to steal one. Uh, and, and I was going to say too, just from a, an ultra high level, if I just look at the schedule and without picking game by game, what do they win? What do they lose? Again, my, my initial instinct is to say four and six, but I, I also think I, I upgrade that by a game, just knowing, again, this is a pretty consistent, solid coaching staff that has a history of, of winning games that people didn't really think that they would or could. So um, so I, I feel pretty good about my five and five prediction here. Um, I, I really don't feel good about going over five and a half. Um, I, I mean, I think there's a lot more ways this could go under five and a half than over. So. Keep that in mind if you're putting your uh, hard-earned American dollars on, uh, on on that particular line here, I think. I will not be touching it. Yeah, wouldn't recommend it. Wouldn't recommend it. Um, and I'm also guessing that the under does not really give you great great value on that bet. So uh, no. at your own risk. Yeah. All right, Mike. Uh, that's all I got on Virginia. Anything else? You know what? I think we're good. Um, really, really solid preview here, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this has been a lot. And, and again, this has been a team that we've talked about a lot this offseason. So it's it's good that we've been able to go pretty deep into them and uh, and and give a good good rundown of kind of what we expect from the team this fall. So um, that is your Virginia 2020 season preview. We're going to get out of here. We are coming down the home stretch here, Mike. We've got uh, about two thirds of the conference done. We've only got, well, I guess, what, 60 percent done, 40 percent to go. We got six teams left. Uh, we are lining up guests. We're continuing to record these and, and, and publish these. So stay tuned. Keep your uh, keep your podcast machine turned where it is now. Uh, in the meantime, you guys can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SI. Together we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, you can go find Justin Ferber at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter for all things Virginia, uh, among other things, I think. Um, 
You can also find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Stitcher, the Overcast app. Wherever fine podcasts are sold for free, most importantly on Anchor. Appreciate those who have. Uh, Mike, they can send us their questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. And I know we still uh, we have some remaining listener questions coming for a couple of these previews. So uh, if you got them, send them over. DMs are oh, open yeah. on the email address. Uh, Mike, do you want to tell me where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts here, Joey. Please do. Please do. Appreciate those who have. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else on Virginia or anything else before we get out of here? I think we're good, man. On to the next set of previews. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, we will be doing that soon, and we will talk to you then, Mike. Yep. All right. Well, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon, and until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.